Today's the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're going to go uh, the next weeks leading up, the next four Sundays leading to Christmas, and then we'll have a Christmas Eve service here, uh, Christmas Eve. So today is the first Sunday in our Advent series. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Surprise, right? That's what Advent means. The Advent season is the season we celebrate the coming of the Lord. So Advent comes from this Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And that's a translation of a Greek word called parousia, which is in, translated in your Bible, coming, the word coming. So when it talks about the coming of the Lord, that's, what that, that's where that word comes from. And so this word in the Greek, this word means presence, it means arrival, it's most commonly translated coming, and it's always in the context of a king or dignitary. So this Greek word that means advent or coming is talking about the coming of a king or the coming of a dignitary very often, a special person. So this word translated coming in our Bible gives us the context of Jesus, our king, who is to come, the coming of the Lord Jesus. This is what Advent is about. Advent means the coming of Christ. So has Christ come? Yes, he has. Is he coming? Yes, he is. He has come, past tense, and he is coming, future tense. The coming of Christ applied historically in the birth of Jesus. So the birth of Jesus was the advent of Jesus or the coming of Jesus. And also in the judgment that came upon Jerusalem in 70 AD, that was a coming of the Lord. Jesus in Matthew 24 prophesied the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem. And that judgment came, the Lord came in judgment. So it's not just, that was not a physical manifestation of Jesus. He didn't come back from heaven and judge Jerusalem, but in a sense he did. He sent the armies of Rome and he sent the armies of the nations and they judged Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem because of their rejection of the Messiah. This is a historical advent or historical coming. His advent or his coming will be ultimately fulfilled, how? In the bodily return of Jesus to this earth to judge the world and to eternally rule and reign with his saints on this earth. So a lot of Christians don't realize this. They think they're going to spend their eternity in heaven looking down on the earth, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is coming back to the earth and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus eternally on this earth. In other words, heaven and earth are coming together. 
wherever the Lord is, that's where heaven is. So the Lord is in heaven right now, but one day the Lord is coming. This is what Advent is about. It's to remind us of the coming of the Lord. Advent reminds us of Christ's promise to come again, to return, both in the historical sense and in the ultimate sense. Therefore, Advent asks the question that Francis Schaeffer so famously phrased, how should we then live? How should we then live? Advent reminds us of the coming of Jesus, and the coming of Jesus should remind us to ask this question. If Jesus is coming, how then should we live? If you knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow, I would venture to say that you would live a very different life today than you did yesterday if you found out that Jesus was returning tomorrow. I think that would be true for all of us. But there is a sense in which that should not be true. There is a sense in which we should live every day knowing that the Lord is coming. And yes, maybe we would do some things differently, but our lives should not be radically different because we know Jesus is coming tomorrow. And if our life would be radically different, then we might need to ask ourselves this question. Knowing that Jesus is coming, how then should we live? Our text today is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Let's read it, and then we'll pray. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, and there are, they are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit living in us, give us the power, Lord, to take in this gospel. Let it change our hearts and change our minds. Let it conform us to the very image of the Son of glory, that our lives would be conformed to the image of Jesus that our lives would be a witness here in this earth, that we would be, as you called us to be, salt and light. 
Father, we ask that you would do this for your glory, that we, your church, we, your people, would bring glory to you in this earth. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So we are to be a people who live as though our Lord is coming. He is coming. He's promised that he's coming. But I think it would be fair to say that if we look around us today and in much of the church, let's just talk about the church. Because God is going to judge the world. Paul makes it very clear in his letter to the Corinthians, it's not our business to judge the world. It is our business to judge the church. It is our business to be good stewards, to be good shepherds, to be good members of his body, supplying life to one another, guarding one another, protecting one another, nourishing one another. And we are absolutely commanded to be mindful of what happens in the church and to judge the church accordingly. And I think it's fair to say that if we look around at much of the church, particularly here in the West, particularly here in America, we can see almost daily reports in our media, in the news, of what the church is doing in compromise to the gospel, in not being faithful, in trying to please men and please the world more than they are trying to please God. And that is not how we are commanded to live. That is not loving God, and that is not loving one another. We think loving one another is compromising, but it's not. When we compromise the gospel, we're not loving our neighbor. We're actually hating our neighbor. When we fail to tell our neighbor the truth, it's not love for our neighbor. It's really hatred for our neighbor. Though we don't think of it that way, perhaps. That is how we should think of it. We are to be a people who love. This is what Paul writes here in these verses we just read. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Well, if I know that what you're doing is detrimental to you, is destructive to you, then love demands that I try to warn you. Not say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'll just let them destroy themselves. No, love says that I must warn you if what you're doing is destructive. And this is why we must be not just tellers of the truth, but our lives should convey the truth. So we are to be a people who love. We are to be a people who live knowing the time. Specifically, that it's high time to awake out of sleep. Paul writes this in another place in his letter to the Ephesians. And he he quotes this, that, that Christ will give you light in raise you up out of your sleep and out of your slumber. So we're to awake out of sleep. We're to be a people who live knowing the time. That the night is far spent and that the day is here. It's time to work. It's time to be awake, not time to sleep. We're to live knowing our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. How then shall we live? This is the question. How should we then live? Knowing that Christ is coming. Well, we should live 
knowing that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. That phrase, our salvation, is talking about the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus, Jesus is coming bringing salvation. Salvation to those who are his, judgment to the world who has rejected him. But when Jesus comes again, Paul writes this in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, called, commonly called the resurrection chapter. Paul writes and he says, this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Corruption putting on incorruption. Mortality putting on immortality. This is our salvation. Your salvation is not just you're going to get to spend eternity in heaven in a, in, in a spirit body. The, your salvation is that this body, this body corrupted by sin and death, that's dying even as we speak, this body that will be laid in the grave one day, this corruptible body will put on incorruption, the Bible says. This is our salvation. When Jesus returns, he's bringing salvation and we'll be saved spiritually, we'll be saved in our soul, and we'll be saved in our body. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. This is the salvation that Jesus bought for us. And when he returns, he is coming, bringing salvation. And so when Paul writes this and he says, we are to live knowing that our salvation is nearer than we first believed, he's talking about the coming of the Lord. We're not to be people like those who mock and ask, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Are not all things just as they were since the beginning? And you hear people say this. Oh, yeah, I've heard that all my life. Jesus is coming, but, but he hadn't come yet. Yeah, he was supposed to come in 1988, but he didn't come. He was supposed to come in 1989, but he didn't come. He's been supposed to come for as long as I can remember and he hasn't come yet. Things keep going on just like they always have from the beginning. That's a bunch of hogwash. Jesus isn't coming. That's an attitude with a lot of people. Do you know that the Bible here, this scripture that I quoted is, is in Peter's letter, written 2,000 years ago, and guess what they were saying back then? Yeah, there's been the promise of his coming because the promise of his coming didn't begin with Jesus walking the earth. The promise of his coming began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We see the first recorded promise of his coming in, in uh, Genesis 3.15, a very specific where God tells the serpent and Adam and Eve, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. And you will bruise his heel, but he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. That's what God told the serpent. This was in the Garden of Eden, right after the creation of man, right after the fall of man. There is the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just somebody will come and crush your head. I don't know who it is. But, but I know one day. No, it was a very specific, he will come and he will crush your head. That he is Jesus. When God gives a promise to Abraham and he says, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes and he tells us that seed wasn't just talking about the many descendants of Abraham. It was talking about one in particular seed, not many seeds as in plural, but one seed, a singular seed, whose seed is Christ. Christ was the promised seed in Genesis chapter 12 that God gave to Abraham. Christ has always been the promised seed. He was the promised seed in Genesis He is the promise given to us, shown to us in the book of Revelation, coming in glory, coming on the clouds of glory to judge the world, to judge the living and the dead. Advent is about the coming of Christ. Christmas is about the coming of Christ. We're to be a people knowing that our salvation, the coming of Christ, is nearer now than when we first believed. It's nearer now than the words that I just read, written 2,000 years ago. It's nearer now than the words spoken in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago at the beginning of creation. We're to live knowing the day is at hand The day to cast off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. How should we then live? We are to live walking properly as in the day, not as in darkness, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife or in envy. We're to live having put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that literally is a picture of putting on a jacket. So if if you and I could read Greek and understand how the Greek or the Eastern mind work, when we read that, putting on the Lord Jesus, it's just like you would get your winter coat on a cold winter day and you'd put that coat on before you went outside. When it says, put off the works of darkness, it's just like me taking this jacket off and throwing it aside. And put on Christ, it's me putting on Jesus, just like I put this jacket on. That's what that means. And so it's very, very important for us to understand these things, to understand what God is telling us. In his word, we're to live properly, walking properly as in the day, not as in darkness, not in revelry or drunkenness. We're to live having put on the Lord Jesus, making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Why are we to live like this? Because Jesus is coming. This is what Advent is about. This is really what Christmas is about. We've lost the true meaning of Christmas and all of the commercialization. I mean, by the time Halloween gets here, we're already got Christmas pushing into the stores. We now have Christmas coming earlier and earlier every year to compete for the shopping season because, you know, the stores on the ground have to compete with all of the stores on the Internet. So they push Christmas earlier and earlier, and Christmas becomes all about buying presents and 
holiday parties and holiday things, and there's nothing wrong with that because we should celebrate Christmas. It should be an awesome celebration. But if we think Christmas is just about the days leading up to the day when we open all the presents and get our lists fulfilled and find out whether we've been naughty or nice based on whether we get everything we want on our Christmas list, we've, we've missed the reason for Christmas. And we should not, of all people on earth, miss the reason for Christmas. We are to live believing and knowing that Jesus is coming. His advent draws nearer and nearer than when we first believed. So the question is, are we going to be faithful servants or are we going to be wicked servants? Faithful servants diligently attend to those things the master has left in their charge. Wicked servants say, our master is delayed, his coming is far away. Let's take our ease and attend to our own pleasure. This is the parable we see in Luke 19, verses 11 through 13, a parable Jesus gave talking about his coming. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew or excuse me, Luke nineteen eleven. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Do you hear that? They thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Do you realize how long they had been waiting for the kingdom of God to appear? When Jesus is giving this parable... The Jews have been waiting every since those words spoken in the garden. They've been waiting 4,000 years for the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. They've been waiting at a minimum 400 years since the last prophet, Malachi. And then there were 400 years of silence where there was no prophetic word. There was no Isaiahs. There were no Elijahs. There were no Elishas walking around declaring the word of the Lord. For 400 years, you know what they had? They had the scripture. They had the words of the prophets. But there was no prophet walking around reminding them, but there was the word. And then Jesus comes. John the Baptist comes, and then Jesus comes. And the excitement begins to build, and they think, this is it. And they were right, this is it. They just were wrong about how they thought it was going to all come down. And Jesus says, right here, He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and said to them, do business or occupy until I come. Now, here's my point. The command of Jesus to his servants is to occupy or to do the business of the kingdom until 
he returns. He didn't say, listen, if I'm not back within two years, then you guys are free from your obligation. He said, you do business, you occupy until I return. There is no expiration date on our command to faithfulness. If Christ does not return for another thousand years, we are still commanded to be faithfully doing the business of the kingdom as long as we are living on this earth. He will return. We are to be faithful. How do we know he will return? Now, this is the part of Christmas we get. Christmas is all about celebrating that baby in the manger. The incarnation of Christ, the first advent of Christ, the birth of the Savior, the birth of Jesus. And we have Christmas programs about the angels singing. And we have Christmas programs showing the shepherds and the animals there in the manger. We even put the wise men in there at the manger. They really weren't at the manger. They came a couple of years later. But they came because they knew the king had come, because they knew the king had been born, and they were seeking out that baby that was born, the king. We get that part of Christmas right, rightfully so, the celebration of the birth of Jesus. But Christmas is not just about the birth of Jesus. Christmas is about something much greater than just a birth. It's about a coming. It's about an advent. It's about the arrival of a king, the one promised for how long? For 4,000 years when Jesus was born. Do you realize that the people of God had been waiting, that humanity had been waiting 4,000 years for Jesus to come? And not everybody made it. Not everybody remained faithful. Many didn't believe. Many lost their faith. Many decided, it's too long. I think I'm going to do my own thing. But Jesus, and this is not the only parable. This is what we see throughout the scripture. It's a call for God's people to be faithful. Because the promise of God is that he is coming. And we know he is coming because he has already come. We know he is returning because he was already born. He already lived. He already died. He was already buried. And he rose again and ascended to the Father. Has received the kingdom. And now he is just waiting for the Father to tell him when the time is for him to return. He's coming. The question is, do we believe that? And if we believe that, then we need to ask ourselves, how then should we live? How should we live our lives if we believe and we know Jesus is coming? We can be sure he will return because he was born. What we call Christmas is generally thought of as this celebration of the birth of Christ. I believe it should be more correctly thought of as the celebration of the coming of Christ. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, we have a tendency to only think of Jesus as a babe in the manger. His birth was not the only 
coming promised. When we celebrate the coming of Christ, we should have the vision of the babe in the manger, yes, who lived, who was crucified, who was buried, who was raised, who ascended. We should have that vision of the babe, but we should also have the vision of the king who is coming. Christmas should not just give us visions of babies in mangers. Christmas should give us visions of a king returning to judge the world. A king in all of his glory with ten thousands upon ten thousands of his saints following him. The armies of heaven following him coming to this earth to judge this world. That's what Christmas should give us visions of. The babe was born so that the king would come. The coming of the king is what we now await. The birth has assured the promise of his coming. Listen to the scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Listen, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ is the day of his coming. Paul says, grace to you, peace to you. He says, listen. He said, my prayer for you is that you come short in no gift, that you are eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and he writes, we will all stand before the Lord in judgment one day. And that's true, we will. And here he's saying, I want you to stand blameless before the Lord in that day. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. In other words, Paul is giving them assurance that the work God began in you, he's going to complete it. But how do we know? This, Caleb talked about this today in Sunday school. How do we know that God is going to complete the work in us? Because we keep walking faithfully. Because we keep living faithfully. Because we remain faithful to the Lord who will keep us to the end. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. He writes, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. There it is again, Paul reminding them that the Lord Jesus is coming with all of his saints. And he says, you are to have your hearts established in love. You're to be blameless in holiness before God and before the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. How should we then live? We should live eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we should live desiring to be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should live abounding in love to one another and to all so that he may establish our hearts in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That is how we should live. Jesus commands us how to live. Matthew 24, 42 through 44, Jesus says, Watch, therefore. How should we live? We should live watching. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Mark 13, 33, take heed, again, the words of Jesus, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all. Jesus says, I'm not just saying this to you, I'm saying it to all. And I believe that all includes all of us. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. We can't watch if we're sleeping. We can't watch if we're distracted. How then should we live? We should live watchful, watching, knowing he is coming. Luke 21, 34 through 36, Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves. Don't just look at everyone around you. But take heed to yourselves, look at yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man." To stand. This is important for us to understand. Jesus says, live in this manner. Be watchful. Be prayerful. Don't get caught up with the cares of this world so that in the day of judgment, you will be able to stand in the presence of the Lord. John writes this in his first epistle. and He says, in this love has been perfected that in the day of judgment, we have boldness and confidence For as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, we have boldness and confidence to stand before the Lord in judgment. Live in such a way that you will be able to stand before the Lord. We are to live watching and ready. We are to live paying attention, not sleeping when we're to be watching and praying. We are to watch. We are to live in a manner that does not allow us to be weighed down with sin and the cares of this life. We are to watch and pray so that the day does not come upon us suddenly and unexpectedly. We are to live in such a manner that we will be able to stand 
in the presence of the Son of Man. Advent reveals the answer to the question, how should we then live? The coming of Christ informs us how we are to live. The historical coming and the future coming, though technically separate events, are necessary aspects of the great promise of His coming found throughout Scripture. In other words, there are different events that we describe as the coming of the Lord. But when the Bible talks about the coming of the Lord, it's not just talking about a bunch of separate events. It's talking about the reality that Jesus was born so that he would come back to this earth and make all things new and put away the curse and put away sin and put away death that man brought into this creation through his fall in the garden. The birth was necessary for his return. It is not his birth or his return that defines his coming. It is his birth and his return that comprises his advent or his coming. His birth and his promised return are two separate aspects that comprise the one reality of his coming that will bring about the consummation of all things in a new heaven and a new earth, free from sin, free from death. This is what Isaiah prophesied. So Victoria read the scripture. This is what we wrote. The, this is what we lit the first candle. This scripture from Isaiah, written some written over 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Listen to the words of Isaiah again. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. All the Gentiles, Jew and Greek, it doesn't matter. All peoples of the earth shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us Go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. We are his church. We are his body, his people in the earth today. We're not to wait until Jesus comes back to this earth to walk in the light of the Lord. We are commanded right now. We looked at the scripture last week. You are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. We are commanded right now to walk as light in the Lord. This prophecy spoken and recorded by Isaiah, speaks both of the incarnation of Jesus in his birth and the coming of Jesus in his return. We see some of this has come to pass, but not all of it has come to pass. They have not beaten their plow, their, their spears, their swords into plowshares yet. 
they're still teaching men how to conduct war. There's still nation rising against nation, brother against brother, man against man. But there is coming a day. The Lord will return. The Lord will come. And in that day when he comes to this earth, when the Lord reigns on this earth, there will be no more war. There will be no more death. They will no longer beat their plowshares into swords. They'll beat their swords back into plowshares. And men will no longer teach one another how to kill and destroy and wage war. That day is not today, but that day is coming because of the Lord Jesus is coming. He will return. Advent, Christmas, is about the coming of the Lord. Christmas is not just about the birth of a baby in a manger. Christmas is about the coming of a king. That king had to be born before he could come. But he has been born, he has ascended, and he will return. And Christmas, Advent, should remind us of his coming. We see the promise of his coming not only in the writings of the prophets, but in all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That promise of his coming is to inform us how we should then live. How should we then live? We should live as though we know Jesus is coming because he is. Well, let's get ready to come to the table. And the table is another reminder of his coming. He died, but he lives. He ascended, but he will descend again and come to this earth and rule and reign with his saints for all eternity. And if you are trusting in Jesus, you are one of his saints. You're not a saint as defined by your good works. You are a saint as defined by his good work. You are a saint because he chose you to be his not because you chose him to be yours. It's his choosing that makes you a saint. And the word saint in reference to the people of God doesn't speak of the quality of your life as much as it speaks of the quality of Jesus, his life and his work. But the word saint as applied to us should speak of our faith and our trust in his work to redeem us, to make us holy and blameless before him in love. So Christian, as you trust in Jesus, as you love him, come to this table, come to Jesus. And as we eat and as we drink in this holiday season, we should remember that we have a reason to celebrate and Jesus is that reason. Let's all stand. Historically, the Advent season was a sober time of personal reflection, hope, and longing. Along with that sober reflection, it is a season that is to be filled with joyful expectation for the coming of Jesus. Just as Israel waited those long centuries for the coming of their Messiah, finally born in a manger in Bethlehem, We, the church, await the return of Jesus, our Messiah, not as a babe in a manger, but as the judge and the conquering king and Lord 
to rule and reign forever with his saints on this earth. How then should we live? We should live like we love him, like those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, faithfully doing the business of the kingdom until he returns. We should live loving God and loving our neighbor. We should live watchful, prayerful, and joyful lives in the service of our King until he comes or until we go to him. Whether he comes or whether we go, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh to fulfill it in its lust. Christ is coming May we purpose to be a people who live like we believe it and like we know it is true, for it is. Amen.